Welcome to Refuge Church Podcast. Pastor Nicole here, and this is our last message in our Refocus series. And as Brian said, if you didn't like it, don't worry. We start a new series next week on Lent and fasting as we journey to Easter. But for this week, Pastor Brian dives into what living intentionally looks like for our finances. Don't freak out. I know what you're thinking. This is not another give to the church message. And while he does talk about it briefly, this message is more about our intentional stewardship of all the gifts God has given us, whether it be time, talent, and yes, even our money. So I hope you hang around for this whole message because I promise it is very, very powerful. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. All right. It's like demons already showing up. They know it's a money message and... (laughs) Welcome giving units. No, I'm sorry. That's, that's not the... We found out like recently there are some churches that's when they have like pastoral meetings, they refer to their congregants as giving units. So you're, we don't think of you that way. Welcome. We're glad you're here. This is our final week of this series. We did a New Year's series called Refocus as we try to refocus our eyes on Jesus coming into this new year. Now, last week I did end of service kind of mess up a little bit. Sometimes that's why I write my sermons out because off the cuff I can sometimes say some inappropriate things. And last week Nicole was like, "Hey, yeah, Brian's teaching on financial health next week." And for some dumb reason, I just blurted out, "Hey, we'll give you a hundred dollars for showing up this week." <laughs> Not sure why I said that, <laughs> but welcome to Refuge. It's a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus. And this week, just for being here, you're the recipients of a hundred bucks. So congratulations for being here tonight. Hebrews 12. (laughs) This has been one of our uh, theme verses for this series. Therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin sin that so easily entangles. And so that's just throwing off everything from this past year's burdens. And then verse 2 says, and let us run into this new year with perseverance, the race marked before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And so our goal for this series, and really our goal for life, should be keeping our eyes constantly focused on Jesus. Now in this series, we've talked about doing that with our physical health and our mental health and with our relationships Seeing Jesus in the near, in the temporal, in the immediate, and then also seeing Jesus in the far. The eternal relevance to the decision and choices we make as we hold on to that hope for glory. One of the other verses that has stuck out to me in this series is Galatians 5.25. It says this, Since we are living by the Spirit, that's us believers, since we are living by the Spirit as believers, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That's been the overarching theme of this series. Resolutions versus intentions in week one. We said that resolutions really only look to the outcome. And so we say, I got a New Year's resolution. I want to lose weight. I want to make new friends. I want to stop smoking, whatever. Those are noble goals indeed. Now with financial health, I googled this week the uh, top five New Year's resolutions on financial health. And here's what they are. I'll just read them off to you. Uh, Number one is pay off credit card debt. Number two is save more money. 
And I've kind of simplified these maybe a little bit. Number three is create and or stick to a budget. Doesn't do any good to create one if you don't stick to it. Number four, cut out unnecessary spending. Number five, build an emergency fund. And then I just added number six, be more generous because it wasn't on the list, but it should be on the list. Noble resolutions, indeed. But what happens when you set that resolution and you get laid off? Or the car blows up? Or like what happened to us this week, our well pump craps out. Or what happens to me in my day job, everybody's home insurance is tripling. Now you got all these new expenses and you say, you know what, forget it. It's hopeless, resolution failed. See, that's the problem with resolutions. They are either pass or they're fail. And so for this series, we said instead of doing resolutions, let's set some New Year's intentions. This year, I'm going to be intentional. Tonight, we're talking about being intentional with my finances. I don't know what will happen, but I know there are some teachings from Jesus about money and possessions. So coming into this new year, I'm setting intentions. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus as I focus in on how I manage his money. Hold that thought. We're going to look at a famous parable, Matthew chapter 25. I look back through seven years of sermon thinking I surely have preached on this at some point in time. I never have. I've used it in business presentations for my day job, but I have never preached the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. And so let me just give you a little bit of background here. The timing of this teaching comes just before Jesus's crucifixion. And so it's Holy Week. He just flipped over the table in the temple, and he retreats from that to the Mount of Olives. That's why this is called the Olivet Discourse. It's this long section of teaching. Most people believe this is occurring Tuesday before Good Friday. So to give you some perspective of timing of this teaching. And Jesus now has retreated from the crowds. He's just with his closest friends in a quiet place. And as you read through all the teachings, it's a very long discourse. There is a lot of urgency to his tone. He's trying to get his friends to understand about the kingdom of heaven. And so he spends a lot of time in this teaching, if you read through it, Matthew 25 and 24, on end times stuff. You know, what's going to happen in the second coming and the resurrection and heaven. And tucked within all this end times, we call it eschatology, end, end times stuff, right in the middle is this teaching about money. Why? Why? Because as he talks about the far, the eternal, end times, heaven, he wants to integrate the near, the present. He wants to drive home that the kingdom of heaven isn't just this far away, distant place, but it's actually right here, right now. And we as followers get to be a part of bringing that kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus understands that money is a gauge of our innermost values. I don't know if you know this, 16 of 38 parables that Jesus taught are about money and or possessions. And so how we manage our finances are a good eye test on where our eyes are fixed. And so we're going to go through the parable of the talents tonight, verse by verse. Excuse me, quick reminder, a parable is a metaphorical story. This isn't a real thing that happened. It's a metaphorical story, and it's a parable, so it compares two things or three things or more within the story. And this time in this story, Jesus is going to be comparing three investors. 
So the parable of the talent comparing three different kinds of investors. Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven, remember that's what he's explaining here, can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And it's just real quick, pause right here in the beginning. I wondered this week, did the disciples get who the man going on the long trip was? Of course, we know that here tonight. But Jesus has been sowing those seeds. He's been speaking of the Son of Man, his impending suffering, his departure, his long journey. And so I wonder, have those words dawned upon these disciples? It's a profound reminder. Just what an amazing teacher Jesus is. It's just brilliant. All the different levels and layers that he can put into a parable like this for his disciples then and for us here tonight. Verse 15, Jesus says, The master gave five bags of silver to one servant, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. Question, did everyone get an equal amount? Easy one, guys. The answer is no. (laughs) Some got more, some got less, and it says they got it in proportion to their abilities. Now, I don't know what the abilities are. They're not explained. Could be their past management of money. It could be their decision making. Could be their financial acumen. We're not told. But not to get too ahead of ourselves in the parable here, but it should be worth pointing out. Do any of us get equal lots in life in anything? Some are given more talent to sing. Some are given more financial resources. Some are given better health. Some are given less. Some are given more time. Some are given less time, etc., etc. We need to remember that. Second point we need to just kind of hold, hold tight to here is the money that has been entrusted to these servants was given. They didn't do anything to earn it. The master just gives that to them and entrusts them with his resources. Verse 16, it says, The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work, and he earned two more. Verse 18, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used whose money? They used his money. Master says, I gave you some silver to invest for me, my silver to invest for me. Well, how'd it go? Verse 20 says, the servant whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver to came forward with five more and said, master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. 100% return on investment. Not too bad. Verse 21, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate. Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate. I highlighted the word small there because each servant was giving a very small amount of the master's money. 
You know, they weren't given all the money. The master's not like, hey, guys, you never invested anything before in my life. Here's my entire bank account, all my assets, and all my real estate holdings. Let's see what you got. The master doesn't give that. He says, gives them a small, manageable amount to see how they demonstrate how they can handle his money and that investment as they steward his resources. Verse 24, then, the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master... I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you did not plant and gathering crops you did not cultivate. Master, I knew you were a harsh man who cheated his way to wealth. Because isn't that how everyone gets their money? See, it's a really important verse here because this isn't a reflection of the master's character. We don't know that the master is a harsh man and seeing that it points us to Jesus, he's not. It's a reflection of the servant's skewed view of the guy who just entrusted him with his resources. Might explain why this guy got a smaller portion because of his character flaws. It certainly helps explain what comes next in the story because we see a person motivated by a lack of trust and fear. Verse 25, the servant says, Well, I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Now imagine you hire a financial advisor and you're like, I'm going to give you my money. I want you to help me set up for retirement so that when I get to old age, there's enough money to you know, pay my bills and get me through retirement. And you come to him when it's time to retire and you're like, I've been giving you all this money. You're supposed to be investing it for me. And he says, well, you know, I could have invested that money for you. There was some company that was you know, wanting to make rainbow-colored apples, but I said, that's, that's way too risky. And there was some company wanting to ship packages from the Amazon, but that sounded like a horrible idea. So good news. I stuck your money in my mattress. Here you go. The exact amount you gave me to invest and not a penny more. You're welcome. What would you say? you got to retirement. Well, I guess you didn't lose my money. Gee, thanks. What's this master going to say? He wanted his money invested. Verse 26 says, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Master says, my instructions were pretty clear. Invest my money. I didn't demand a particular rate of return. I didn't give a long list of instructions. I simply said, invest this for me. Verse 28, then the master ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. And then we kind of get to the moral of the story in verse 29. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. The ushers will now begin passing that metal plate around with kidding, not kidding, sort of. That's generally how this parable is taught. And to be honest, it is hard to read this parable and not at least in some way make it about giving and generosity. I mean, that's kind of what it's about. But it also makes it very easy to abuse and it has been abused. And so before we kind of tear this apart a little bit, I just want to admit this is dangerous terrain for anybody in a church when you start talking about giving and money and how people spend their money. 
And it's especially maybe for me because I can see you now. Well, you don't know my situation that I'm in. And I see your house and your car and your boat. And now I got some rich dude telling me how to spend my money. I should have stayed home tonight. And so I say that because it is kind of the elephant in the room. I've heard this kind of stuff before. And certainly today I am financially comfortable. But I started life in a single wide trailer. We scraped by much of my childhood. Karen and I scraped by much of our lives. So I do know what it's like to be poor. There's been months where we couldn't pay our rent. There's been a year I spent unemployed one time and just drained that bank account dry. Over the course of my career being self-employed, I've had some ups and I've had some really lows. And so as Paul says, I love what he says. He says, I know what it is to have need and I know what it is to have plenty. And I certainly do. I'm still working on the next part of what Paul says that I'm being content in all things. I'm still working through that part. But the roller coaster of my personal finances, the highs and the lows, is what has helped ingrain what I think is the main concept of this parable, which is this. Everything I have, everything you have, has been given. How's that sit with you? Everything you have has been given. I'll tell you, in the business circles that I operate in, that doesn't sit well at all. Because they constantly say, now, now hang on a second, Brian. I worked hard for what I got. I mean, I went to college. I struggled, but I got a C for a degree. I took that entry-level job. And by my grit and effort and determination, I clawed my way to where I am today. Frankly, if everyone would work as hard as me, they wouldn't be sitting at home and collecting welfare or trying to sneak across the border into this great nation. Oh, Might be. I wasn't aware that your relentless work ethic made America your birthplace. I didn't realize that all it takes is determination to not come down to a debilitating mental health issue. Or that somehow in your crib as a baby, you mustered up the good set of parents you had that taught you that grit and resilience. And so if you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. Living intentionally with your finances begins by understanding that everything you have has been received, not achieved. Does it make that an excuse for laziness or squandering your opportunities? That's also clear in this parable. What each servant was given, he was expected to use and invest. But Jesus is teaching that everything we have, our finances, our health, our relationship, our time, our abilities, our faith has been given to us. If we can only hold to that, then we're on our way to some financial health. Next point I want to make is this parable isn't just about money. It's about investing all those things I just mentioned. So Jesus hands you five bags of time this week. He says, in this season, I want you to invest this time and turn it into something great. He hands you two bags of talent, literal talents like we have, and you received it. He says, I want you to leverage that to nurture and expand this community of believers. He hands you a giant bag of grace. and You've been given. He says, I want you to multiply my grace with your neighbors and grow it through those difficult relationships. And yeah, he even handed you a small bag of a church. And he's entrusting you to invest in each person in this room and help grow it. Now, the next point is, well, parable isn't just about money, but the parable is not not about money. Double negative. 
Martin Luther in the 1500s. He wrote this. He said, there are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the wallet. Now, if you've been around, the conversion of the head is hard enough, right? Trying to wrap your minds around a God who would make people knowing that we would sin or the problems with suffering or God's sovereignty versus free will or the historical problems of the Bible or all the things that we wrestle with in our heads. And that's hard. And then we got through that, we got the conversion of our hearts. We got to let go of things, our desires for power and control and our illusion of self-sufficiency and the lure of living for comfort and peace only. And if somehow we can get through the head and the heart, Martin Luther says, and if we can work through it, what remains is we've got to reorient our wallets. We've got to see money as a gift from God meant to be used for his purpose. And what's helped me in that conversion is to think less about what I need to do and a lot more about what has been done for me. See, Jesus came and he invested his life to save me. Most expensive investment ever made. He didn't give a 10% tithe. He didn't give a 60% tithe. He gave everything he had. And what he had is beyond anything we can comprehend, which means that no amount of work that I can do, no amount of serving, no amount of giving will ever come close to giving my master a proper return for that investment. And Jesus knew this. And yet he made the investment because the only return that he was after was me and you. And so the conversion of your wallet, as Luther says, isn't about trying to earn your salvation. It isn't trying to appease this harsh master. It's simply an opportunity to give thanks and pay it forward. So as we continue here, I didn't write the Bible, okay? I'm only here as a guide. But it is hard to read this parable and not see a correlation between money that God has given us, no matter how much or how little, and the expectation he does have for a return on his investment. Now, why does God want a return on his investment? Is he trying to set up for retirement, buy a bigger heaven? He wants to upgrade those pearly gates? I don't know. No, he wants a return on his investment for your good, for my good. Now, I write a couple versions of a sermon each time, and I call draft number one where I'm just trying to get the words on a piece of paper. I don't think a lot. I just type and write it all out. That's my drunk draft. People that have been around me have heard that before. And when I was writing my drunk draft of this sermon, I left out the last verse in this parable because it's a little rough. But I call the next thing I do with the sermon the next day my sober edit, where I go back through and I kind of clean it up. And as I did that and I sat with this text, I said, you know, we can't avoid this verse. comes at the end of the story. You know, Jesus has came in, or sorry, the master has came in and said, good job, you first two guys, you did great, let's have a party. Third guy, you did terrible. And I got some bad news for you, verse 30. He says, now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's why I wanted to leave that one out. So what's the message with that? Don't give God a return on his investment and you go to hell? Yep. <laughs> God blesses you with money for your good, for your joy. And then you blow it on stuff that you can't afford or things you think you deserve or you live beyond your means. And where do you end up? Your own kind of personal hell. The hell of being buried in a mountain of debt. 
the hell of worry trying to live paycheck to paycheck because that car salesman was really good. The hell of relationship strain in a marriage, the hell of a career dissatisfaction, the hell of physical and mental health issues that arise from financial stress, not to mention the missed opportunities for the opposite of hell, joy. The joy of giving to a cause you are passionate about and get to make a difference with. The peace that comes from letting go of the comparison game. The building of patience that comes as you learn to delay satisfaction. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Brian, you don't know my situation. I mean, how hard it is for a single mom with two kids, working two jobs in this high rent era, trying to make ends meet. And you're right, I don't. And it's precisely why we have to preach messages like this, because you are the person that we ought to be helping with our resources. But we can't, because those who can and should be investing God's money in you aren't, collectively or individually. Remember, this entire Olivet discourse that we talked about is about bringing heaven to earth. And sometimes, man, we need to use our money to bring a little heaven to earth for people that come across our paths like the single mom with two kids and two jobs. Additionally, Refuge is passionate about the LGBTQ community. It's our cause. It's seeking justice. To make a difference, yes, we can use our talents and we can use our time, but it does also take resources. If you think back to the 60s, our Christian brothers and sisters, they fought against the injustice of discrimination. They fought for civil rights and they invested time, but they also invested their money And some of them even invested their lives in the return. Things aren't perfect today, but they're a lot better than they were in the 1960s for that community. And so I worry often today, and I I include myself in this group. We share a a tweet, it's powerful, or we attend a progressive church and we're thinking we're making this investment for God, but I think we're really just bearing the master's gift because of fear. Let's go back real quick. Verse 25. It's time to give an account. What'd you do with your money? Guy with one bag. What's he say? He says, I was afraid I would lose. That's what keeps us from investing God's money. We're afraid to lose control to much of our spending habits. We're afraid that we're going to miss out because others have something that we don't have. Or we're afraid of not having enough. So we hoard our money and we don't share it with anyone else. So we're afraid of rejection. If I say no to a night out with my friends because it's tight on my budget, they won't be friends with me anymore, or they'll think less of me, or we're fearing inadequacy because, I mean, let's be honest, that's what the advertisers tell us. If you don't have our product, you are inadequate. Or we fear that if we give our money away, it will be wasted because it happens a lot. <laughs> and so the first church thing I ever taught when I was a new Christian Barely knew anything about the Bible, but they knew I was in finance and insurance. And so the church we were at, the pastor came to me and Karen. They said, will you teach a class on finances, on money management and so forth? It was a class by Crown Giving. They they had a study book. (laughs) You can see how cheesy this thing is. This is like 2005, 2006. They had a study guide and all that stuff. So it made it fairly easy. I was able to go along and I learned a lot about biblical uh, finances during that as well. And his book, you know, it's kind of Dave Ramsey-esque. I think everybody knows who he is and the kind of things that he teaches. There's some flaws in it, but there are really good biblical money concepts and a lot of things that Dave Ramsey does do. So same thing for this. And so we taught things like stewardship and contentment. 
important things to learn. We talked about seizing, seeking wise counsel with your investments and your finances or avoiding debt, which I think is one of the most important things we all can do, or saving and investing, or talked about work ethic in this class and the importance of having a good work ethic and how biblical that is. And we talked about avoiding greed and materialism. And we talked a lot about budgeting. It was a big part of the class, helping folks in the class develop budgets. And so maybe in this room tonight, there is someone that God has given a passion to, to teach a class like this. So if that is you, please see me or Nicole after this, because I think it is a class that we need as a church and would be very appropriate to teach. But I was reminded this week, back to Wednesday, about the fundamentals of financial health, this budgeting. As I mentioned earlier, the pump in our well died on Wednesday, and that means we don't have any water. It died Wednesday. By Thursday, the house ran out of water because we didn't know it had died. We have a big holding tank. And so the pump, they came out. They're like, no, we don't have anything available till next week. So you're without water. So we don't have water. That's why we stink tonight when we're um, here. <laughs> no, thankfully, we have, we have a big holding tank and the neighbor uh, across the way, the one that likes us, not the one that doesn't. Uh, he let us borrow some water. And so we put in this 500-gallon tank. I didn't want to take all his water, but we filled it up with 200 gallons of water on Thursday, which you think, that's a lot of water. You have no idea how much water you use. So in our normal life, you go through it, and you're like using water, and it's, it's just there, right? Water is readily available. It's fairly cheap. Now, we got 200 gallons. We only got a limited amount, and when we spend all that water, then, then it's gone. And so I asked chat GPT. I'm like trying to figure out what we can do and create a budget for our home on water. And so I said, well, how much does a dishwasher use? Chat told me between three and five gallons. So I'm like, okay, Let's be mindful of the dishes we use. You know, lick your fork clean, use it for the next meal, whatever. I was like, what about showers? And it said two gallons a minute. Oh my gosh. And our water takes like five minutes to heat up. So I told the kids, you know, on off showers at best, really quick, get in, get out. Got to save the water on the shower. Toilets, 1.6 gallons per flush is now the standard in America. You can get better if you go to Canada. Um, So we instilled the rule. We all know the rule, right? If it's yellow, let it. Yeah. I told a, a friend of that this week that's from another country, and he's like, I don't know that. You American in your humor. Ha <laughs> ha. And then, I, then the washing machine. This is a big one, man. A washing machine, big range, uses between 15 and 30 gallons of water. Now, keep in mind, I only got 200 gallons. And so I told the kids, like, we got to cut back on laundry because, you know, we don't have much to use. We don't want to do a lot of loads. Um, and so we told them to cut back. You see in this picture here, um, this is one day's worth of laundry from my kids. I mean, and that's me and Karen's. She had two socks. I had one because I got a hole in one of my socks. So that's, they were not very good at budgeting the water. Budgeting is good. It's kind of like money mindfulness. It's a perfect way of being intentional with your finances because you have to pre-think what you're going to spend. And yet it still leaves room to be intentionally flexible. We had friends several years ago. They're now successful business owners. They did the Dave Ramsey courses, and they did the whole budgeting envelope thing. Has anybody in the room done that? Yeah, so you've, you, you create a budget. You put cash in envelopes. This is for this. This is for that. And you do it for the whole month. You got these envelopes. Everything's budgeted. Everything's laid out. There's no risk of overspending. It worked great for them. I'm not that determined, but it works if that works for you, and it's easy to track. Never that disciplined me. I had ups and downs of being self-employed, so I did find plenty of times in my life where we had low water. We didn't have a lot to deal with, and we had to make it last, and we had to work within a really tight budget. And So I just want to encourage you, one financial coaching thing tonight, if you've never done it, 
Create a budget, and you might be surprised that the things in your lives that's eating up water that maybe you don't know, or maybe there's some things that you realize you can go without uh, in the first place and not use up that water in the tank. So there's really just two ways to change your financial situation. I've taught these classes, and you can get into all this stuff, but there's really just two things you can do. There's the demand side, which is control your spending, make some sacrifices, pay attention to what you waste. You know, if you spend $13 a day on wasted stuff, that's $5,000 a year. It doesn't take long to waste money. That's the demand side. You can control that. And then there's the supply side. That's increase the money that you have coming in. Fill the tank with more water. And depending on what season you're in, maybe that means working more hours, a second job, side hustles, whatever. That's it. That's the two options, really, that we have to change our particular financial situation. And for tonight, that's about all the financial advice I'm going to give. Because there are a lot of resources out there. And if you really, truly want to get serious about finances, you will. You'll go find those resources. Over the years, a lot of people have come to me for help with budgeting because of the class we taught, because of the job I have. And they'll come into my office and they'll sit down and they'll bring with them their venti latte from Starbucks. And they'll tell me about the latest show they watched on Hulu. And they'll roll up their sleeve and show me their freshly inked tattoo. And I'll say, you know, know, maybe we could try cutting some of those things out. And they'll either say, no, man, that's not the issue. The issue is is all this other stuff. Or they'll say, well, no, those are basic human rights. We all deserve that. And so I've stopped giving financial advice for that particular reason. But I did promise everyone $100 for being here tonight. And because I love you, I'm going to do better than advice for you guys tonight. I'm going to have the church donate that $100 to our ministry on your behalf. You're welcome. (laughs) I will say this. If you're here tonight, totally serious. If that $100 was going to make a difference in your life, I've been there, man. We got $100 from my grandma when we were first married as a wedding gift that came two months late, and we weren't going to make rent, and that $100 showed up, and we paid our rent that month. So if that $100 tonight was going to be a difference maker for you, 100% send an email, brian at refuge.church. We have a benevolence fund. We will Venmo it to you immediately because that is what a church is supposed to do. I want to close with a time of response. We're not going to pass around the tray for your response. We're just going to do some worship and some communion. A few days after Jesus is teaching this very parable, he makes his way into the city with those same disciples. It's time for the Passover meal where he's going to implement communion. And he makes this beautiful illustration about the investment he's going to make, the blood that's going to pour out, his body that's going to be broken, how he's going to invest that to save humanity. But what's interesting in that story is he holds that meal in just this small little dusty upper room. Room that didn't seem like a whole lot of anything. It's not much. And yet here we are 2,000 years later still talking about this small, seemingly nothing room. And so I'll go back to Galatians 5.25. It says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow that Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let that be our prayer now as we go into this new year, that as we focus on Jesus in every part of our lives, we allow the Spirit to guide every part of our lives. That we see the Master, see that He isn't a judgmental, harsh man, but He is our Father, our Comforter, our Friend, 
and our Savior. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Those who are playing, the emblems are at the table. If you would make your way now to the table, there is bread and juice. Come back to your seat. Eat the bread, drink the juice whenever you feel led, and then continue to worship and sing this final song with us tonight. I don't want tonight to be one of those, oh boy, you know, my church is begging for my money. And don't get me wrong, we could use it, of course. This ministry doesn't happen without resources. But I do 1,000% believe in the message of this parable as we taught it tonight. And I believe truly that you are robbing yourself of joy if you're not investing what God has given you, whether it be investing in this church, investing in some other organization, or man, just investing in a person in your lives. Now, I know because I know all of you in this room for the most part that you've been hurt by a church at some point in time, and I know there is hesitancy to even give to a church, wisely so, because of that. And so I thought tonight, we had a board meeting this week, and and we went through kind of the financials for last year and looked ahead to this next year. And I just wanted to print those out for everybody here, too. It's not a secret. So on your way out uh, in the lobby, that table that sits between the two doors is our 2023 um, statement of cash flows. It has every dime, every dollar we spent and where it went. So you can see that clearly there. And it also has our anticipated cash flow for 2024. So you can see where we plan to spend our money this year as a church, or I shouldn't say our money because it's your money spent this year as a church. And I believe this parable, while it does apply to us as individuals, it does apply to churches as well. So we have been given things as a church, and so we need to strive likewise to be good investors to what God has given you that you have entrusted to us that we need to invest for his kingdom. And so that's on your way out the door there tonight. If you love this series, I'm sorry to say this was our final night. If you hated it, good news is we're starting a new one next week. We're going to be going into a Lent season for our first time, I think, ever as a church. We're going to do four or five series on Lent and talk about what it is and what it isn't and look at some great stories in the Old Testament as we go through that. So be here. Bring a friend for that next week. God bless. Love you all. Hope to see you then.